Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Welcome to the Starting a Private Practice podcast. We're diving into step four. How do you actually get paid in private practice? This episode is all about finances. We are going to do some deep diving today. So buckle up and let's get started. And, and maybe get a pen and paper. Yes. For sure. <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk about finances everyone's favorite topic, right? When you're starting a private practice, what do I charge? How is this going to work? Can I leave my job? I mean, there's so much that comes up around this. I think, and I think for a lot of people, it doesn't even, it doesn't even start with how much do I charge? It's how do I get on insurance panels mm. or what are other people charging? Mm-hmm. What can I charge? Not what should I charge or what do I charge? It's what can I charge? what's happening. So the first things we do is we look to others to determine what's happening in our money situation. Well, and if we go back to step one, when we talked about vision, Mm -hmm. did any of you listening create a vision that is a replication of what you are already have, whether it be in your uh, government job, your nonprofit kind of job, you want to be creating something new and to go straight into insurance and all these questions, like you're saying, Miranda, mm-hmm. is usually not holding to the vision of what do I want for myself? Like, what do I truly desire? Because mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of us desire to replicate what we have in the nonprofit <laughs> world, you know, and doing it different. So having that vision inform the finances is just so important to go back to that. I know it was a few episodes ago, but I just want everyone listening to, if you haven't listened to that whole vision series on step one, go back to that because that's really going to make an impact in what we talk about today. You know, when I was starting my private practice, you know, my vision was a, I felt really led that it was time to do a private practice, but B, I wanted to be able to be there for my son. I wanted to be able to actually spend time. I didn't want to replicate in a, you know, 40 hour work week. Um, and honestly, I had never worked directly with insurance. I had worked within grants. Hmm. So I had some kind of sense of something, but the paperwork requirements had been like sort of relatively hidden from me. Even when I worked at the psychiatric hospital, I didn't, I wasn't part of like quality review. So usually my notes kind of past the mark. So it just wasn't kind of a, a, I didn't really know how any of that worked, but very quickly I had people telling me, Hey, you know, you haven't been licensed for two years, so you can't get on any insurance panels. And then they also told me, Oh, Hey, and by the way, you can't do, if you do private pay, I'm not going to refer to you. So it was very much when it came to money, they were saying like, there's no way for you to get paid. Right. So you shouldn't be doing this at all. Right. Well, when I went into private practice, I was working at the county and my county friends, I went to the ones that had private practices just for encouragement. And what I was told was, no, this is just a side hustle. 
you can't ever leave the county because of the benefits, because of, you know, so on and so mm-hmm. forth. And I was looking to people who I did not want to model for mm-hmm. that encouragement. And a lot of them were on panels. And I actually was on a panel when I started my private practice. I lasted three months and then disenrolled. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was one of the, like, so Kelly and I actually met because she reached out to me yes. for private practice coaching. Yes. And I think that was in the very first session yes. that we had that conversation. We were like, what do I need to do to make this easier? And by the end of the conversation, you're like, no, I'm, I'm not doing this. Right. Like, you mean I don't have to do this? I'm like, you don't have to do this. Right. And again, it's, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And I was, again, modeling what I saw in my peers who yeah. weren't able to leave their jobs. I was modeling something that wasn't working for people. Yeah. Um, and getting that extra support allowed me to create something much, much better and sustainable for me. And I, I think it's important. I would just want to add, oftentimes Miranda and I are seen as the cash pay only coaches. And in our business school, in our coaching programs, we have plenty of people who are on insurance. We have plenty of people who do um, sliding scale in a way that is truly um, ethical and has integrity. Everybody Mm -hmm. is different. We care most about you creating a practice that fits you Mm -hmm. and is allows you to do this in a sustainable way. Some people have the privilege where they can be in contract with insurance Mm -hmm. and others don't. So we don't take a hard stance of no, you, you have to have a cash pay practice. We do take a stance though, that if you want that, you can have it. Yeah. And I think also we take a stance of you need something that's really sustainable and that allows you to give great clinical outcomes because if you don't feel good about what you're doing with clients or, and if you don't have space after your clinical day to like live a happy life, the kind that you're trying to teach your clients about, then it's really like, you're not going to be in alignment. Like this is not going to feel good. And, and I think too, one of the, and I, I know we're kind of going in a roundabout way to kind of dive into this, but I think it's a really, this is, this is usually like the first conversation that where people get stuck is that people say, well, you know, my, my friend said insurance reimbursed really well. Like there's no issue. Or I'm part of this Facebook group where some people are saying insurance is terrible and other people are saying it's great and it works really well. And that's because not all insurance plans are the same. Mm -hmm. It's also because not all people are the same. So you can have two people who are on Kaiser insurance but they may not actually be that Kaiser. One is Kaiser of Southern California. One is Kaiser of Northern California. Another person is Kaiser of Ohio. This actually came up in coaching last week. (laughs) Kaisers that were 20 miles apart Mm -hmm. and a reimbursement difference of $80 between two clinicians. Yeah. 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 Because one is at a different like in a completely different organization. So even though we just shorthand say it's Kaiser or, hey, it's Blue Cross or it's United Healthcare or what have you, each of those can have completely different processes, completely different contracts, 
um, just every, every, and completely different reimbursement rates. And I think what's interesting is a lot of times what, when you're going down this path of insurance, they won't actually tell you what the reimbursement rates are. They'll say that once you've been accepted onto the panel, then you'll be, you'll get a fee schedule of what's usual and customary. Mm -hmm. And which is kind of interesting because when we hear the words usual and customary, I kind of think like, oh, there's like a standard fee, right? Like there's like a standard thing that makes sense that's made up. And in fact, I've even heard people say, oh no, there's a website that um, that only allows insurances to charge a usual and customary fee, which is, it's true in a couple of states um, in a couple of narrow situations, but most of the time that's not true. So we end up with all these weird things that get passed along, but again, neither here nor there. You can end up with, right? A situation like Kelly's saying where it's like, oh, 20 miles apart is an $80 difference. Sometimes too, like I've seen it a lot where in LA, somebody's getting reimbursed $68 a session and the cost of living is insane. And then in Ohio, they're getting reimbursed $124 and the cost of living, you know, a three bedroom house is $250,000. And you're looking and going, well, wait, how do they come up with these numbers? They develop the numbers usually based on how many people will say yes to it, how many therapists are available and like what they have access to. So when you have an area that has a lot of therapists, right? When we talk about um, a saturated market, the, while often we think of if there's a saturated market that you can't have a cash pay practice, my experience has been in a saturated market the place that where you really see that show up is actually in insurance contracts, not in cash pay. Right. So you've done a great job explaining how insurance companies set their fee. <laughs> I think it's good for us to start talking about what does it mean to have a financial plan that is sustainable when you're starting a practice and then how you develop a fee out of that. Yeah. We teach from the perspective of a sustainable financial plan means that you can cover time off. If something were to happen to you and you were to get sick or there would be a a change in your family situation or a stressor that you would be able to take time away from your work Mm -hmm. and still be okay, that you have savings for a retirement. So many clinicians Mm. come to us in their 60s, without any retirement. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we want you to be able to, if that's important to you, to have retirement, to have retirement, to have savings Mm -hmm. for disasters. We've had many clinicians go through natural disasters, all kinds of things, Mm -hmm. but be able to, to manage that. A fee that allows you to pay for your expenses, allows you to do continuing education as is best for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, also pays taxes. I know we don't like to claim for that, <laughs> but we need to put that aside too, yeah. so that there's no stress, that there is ease, right? So we're not just, what do I just do to get by and cover my basic costs? You know, we see this sometimes when clinicians are starting, they are like haggling over um, a percentage of uh, well, it's like 2.9% versus 2.7% or like this is only doing 10% of transaction versus 35 cents. And we're like, 
That's not the point. No, you, it, when you get down to that, because you're just trying so much to make yourself as affordable as possible, but instead of really looking at a bigger picture and the bigger vision for you to do this in a sustainable way, you need to be able to take time off and all of those kinds of things yeah. and have something that processes your credit cards easily. And there's expenses here. So that mm-hmm. is what we mean by sustainable um, financial planning and not just the start. I'm, I'm just starting. So I'm just going to do what I can to cover my costs. It, it doesn't work y'all. And I think this is the big thing that I, I, if you hear nothing else today, if you hear nothing else today, realize that your paycheck, your hourly wage that came from an employer is not the same as the hourly rate you get as a therapist in private practice. Yeah. Okay. So let's, I, and I think if we can even break that down for you, I think that would be really helpful. And then we have a whole training on like how to set fees. It's free. Like you can go and check it out. You can even get a CE for it, which is pretty rad. But this place of understanding that when I get paid, you know, let's say $26 an hour from a nonprofit with a master's degree and I got a license and you're like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. Like this is not a sustainable rate. And then suddenly you think, you know what? I see other people that are charging $125 a session. You know what? If I could just charge, if I charge even a hundred dollars a session, I'm making four times what I made over here but you are not, you are not, you're not, you're not. It's so important. Even at that agency that we know they're underpaying you and it's not sustainable. I get it, but they often have vacation. They have retirement. They're paying part of your taxes, your payroll. They're carving some of that taxes out in terms of like sending to the government, some of the taxes you'll have to pay later in the year. They're providing office space. They're providing, they're taking care of your um, hourly wage. They may have a receptionist for you. Um, Maybe you have 40 hours of work that you're working, but maybe you're actually only seeing clients for 32, but you're still getting paid for all 40, you know? And again, all these different scenarios, you have to really build in that whole infrastructure from that fee. And if you've ever been kind of behind the veil and you've looked at even the grants that people get for those nonprofits, the first time you see that like, oh, they're paying $60 an hour for this position and I'm only getting $15, you think, I'm like, this isn't fair. Like, this isn't good. But when you start to dive into the numbers, you figure out like, oh, here's where the rest of that money is going. It's going to the CEs. It's going towards health insurance. It's going through the office. It's going through cleaning the carpets. You know, mm-hmm. it's going through buying the couches. Um, it's going through having someone day do the bookkeeping and take care of payroll. When you move into this private practice, it can be, it's really exciting. And there's so much like choice and freedom that you get. And there's also things that you have to either learn how to do them yourself or you have to have a budget to outsource them. So you either need time to do the thing, which you have to get still get paid somehow, or you need money to do that, which again, requires money. So when you start looking at the financial plan for your private practice, everyone's plan is going to be different because you, most people, they're leaving a job when they start, Mm -hmm. not everyone. And so then they have that mentality, like you're saying of, well, I can just charge this and I'll make what I made at the other. Mm -hmm. 
at the other job, but they're not factoring into all of the cost. And when you are starting a private practice, part of the financial plan process is to research, mm-hmm. research the cost of your electronic health care uh, record system, your EHR, research the cost of having a laptop, research the cost of having office space. If you're going to do in person, even if you're going to do virtual, you still may want a space. Um, so you're going to, if you are starting from scratch, do research in your area and start thinking through what are the things that I need to run my practice well, and not from a place of scarcity. And, you know, again, I'm going to do everything manually so I can avoid paying for electronic healthcare record when really that puts you at more risk and financially we don't recommend it. So, you know, looking at some of the things that it takes to run your practice. And then on the other side, people just are comparing, okay, this is the job I had and this is the business I'm going to create to replace that. But they aren't thinking about what is my life need for my business? So while you're also doing a financial plan and looking at expenses for the practice, you're looking at the cost of your life to -hmm. live your life, to live a good life. Mm -hmm. What do you need to be bringing home? And I think one of the big pieces that, that I'm, there's been a lot of talk, you know, lately, who's to know when you'll listen to this, maybe you're listening to this years from now, but there's been a lot of talk about student loans and student loan repayment. Mm-hmm. And I've seen therapists talking about, oh, I never plan to ever pay my student loans. Like there's no way I could ever do that. Mm-hmm. And so they're sitting with sometimes, you know, 30, 50, 100, $150,000 yes. of student loans, the money that they invested to be able to do this profession, to be able to do this profession. And they don't feel like they can charge a fee that would allow them to like pay back those loans. Talk about return on investment. Yeah. <laughs> we spend so much money on the education and then it takes us so long to pay it off. That's not okay. Or even the idea that, that again, that therapists are saying, I know I'll never pay it off, which means I'll never be able to buy a house. Mm. Right? Like this, like it's this, this cycle that's coming in, in terms of feeling like it's not okay to build that in versus seeing this as saying, this is the cost. This is the cost of starting my business. Mm-hmm. And if you had a six figure education, your startup costs are more than somebody who had a five figure education. Yes. And so your fee may be more because you have that to do. And, and honestly, in some cases, somebody who had family help, who doesn't have as much financial need, their fee may be less, much less than yours. Right right? If you had a trust set up, you know, and you don't have to take care of finances, that person may be only charging $75 a session in LA. And you think, well, I mean, I guess they're making it work. No, they may not be making it work. But if you have, if your um, student loans alone are $1,000 a month or $1,500 a month, do you, do you see how that, like, that's more than my first off, my first full-time office was $500 a month. Right. Right. Now my student loans were hundred dollars and 90 cents. Wow. I know. And because I actually had some help, I went to very cheap schools. I went to a junior college that was $11 a unit and I'm, I'm also old. So let's, <laughs> let's also pull that in there. I had junior college was $11 a unit and I had my grad school 
um, even was like $700 a semester. I love how you know this. I don't even know what I, I don't even know. Yeah. And I, and I worked full time when I was in school. Yes. So my, my dad paid for my tuition and books. And then I worked full time and paid for all of my living expenses. Yeah. And so that's how I did it. Right. And, you know, ended up with like $10,000 worth of loans. I had more than that. (laughs) (laughs) And again, I, I think this comes down to knowing your life and your circumstances. Mm -hmm. And when we look to others, you don't know the privileges that they hold and you cannot compare what you need to what somebody else needs. And there are people who are truly fortunate and in a different place financially um, than others. And that is going to influence how they make decisions in their business. So I, you highlighted it earlier. If you're wondering like how to actually set the fee, we have a full hour training with the formula, but to prepare for that, you really want to look at what do I need in my life? Mm-hmm. to get out of, maybe you want to get out of debt. Maybe you want to buy a house. Maybe you want to retire. And then looking at, okay, to start my practice, what is it really going to take? Mm-hmm. And in that how to set fees training, we cover a lot of the expenses for you to research. Yeah. So you can pause the video, write, write them down yeah. and get to Googling because Google will now be your friend when it comes to researching. <laughs> you are not going you are not going to Google what your friends are charging Mm-mm. because you don't really know what they are charging. I don't know if you know this, but whatever someone puts on their website is just what they put on their website. It does not mean that's what's happening in session. Yeah. You, their fees could be all over the place. You don't mm-hmm. know truly what happens. And you don't know if they're doing sliding scale all over the place. You also don't know how much debt they're in. Yeah, you don't know. There are a lot of therapists that are under a lot of debt. Yeah. I actually talked with someone years ago and they said that they were in Debtors Anonymous and they said, I meet so many therapists in Debtors Anonymous. Like this is a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, it ties back into, right. A couple of things. One is that we see this as a calling, mm-hmm. not as a career. Mm-hmm. And when we see it as a calling, then sometimes we feel guilt and shame about accepting money. Yes. And about like accepting that there is that money is something that's needed. Now, I think this is one of the things we could really dive into today is can you start to see money as not money and not indicative of your value as a human, but can we see money as a resource? You know, we brought Jaquette Timmons into business school to talk about money and and intersectionality. And I think it's a good I just want to highlight it here. One of the things she talked about is this whole idea of like your fee does not convey your value. That is what happened in slavery, right? Mm. We put a price on human beings. Mm -hmm. And if we continue to do that, we continue to perpetuate that um, slave slavery and enslaving people. We enslave ourselves you are more than your fee. Your fee is the number that mm-hmm. allows you to do your work well, that allows you to live your life. It does not speak to if you are a good, worthy person or any of that. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And it was really powerful when she, when she talked about it, we have a recording of that training in business school. And I think it resonated with a lot of people of we've been taught for so long of, oh, I'm just starting. I'm not Mm -hmm. worth $190 a session or, Mm -hmm. oh, this person's just, just an intern. Those those words like just or only are mm-hmm. little red flags to tell you that you are minimizing mm-hmm. um, the work of what you do and not honoring what it takes to run a business. Well, and you may also say like, well, my my old clinical supervisor or my old mentor, they only charge, you know, 150. So I can't possibly charge more than them. Yeah. But that person, again, may have a spouse or a partner. Yeah. Right. They may have a house that's completely paid off. Maybe they got a um, somebody gifted it to them when they died and their mm-hmm. will, you know, like there's so many scenarios that we have to really start to take ownership and just say, okay, what is this as a resource so that I can give? And we talked about this when we we're talking about setting our schedule, right? And this ties into the money piece too, is for every person that comes into my office to get the same right person the same level of energy, the same level of intention, of attention, that I have time to be able to return a phone call, that I have the training, that I can easily get consultation if I need it, um, that I'm not stressed about finances. You know, I'm nobody's trying to serve me with like, you know, papers for a, um, what is that called when they, a bankruptcy um, or something? I don't know. Like people are trying to serve you in the middle of a session because your finances aren't taken care of, or you're worried about not having a place to live. Mm -hmm. You know, these are real issues that real therapists are dealing with in private practice out in the world. And it's, and it's not okay. I've talked with many therapists who've had their homes foreclosed on um, because they were so focused on being there for other people and they didn't, honor Mm -hmm. the resource that they needed. And again, these resources, this is how you eat. This is how you have water. This is how we have um, heat or air, depending on where you live. You know, some of these things are not, if you live in Arizona, air conditioning is not a um, luxury. It's a necessity, Mm -hmm. right? If you live in Wyoming, heat is not a luxury. It is a necessity. So what are all these necessities, things that you really need to be able to just be present for your clients? So we'll talk about like the general, what the math looks like today, but I really highly encourage you to go listen to the free training when you can actually like write it down and do the math because you might be going on a run. You might be listening in the car. Like I know that that's, these are big places. People like to listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. So we'll give a brief overview, but highly encourage you to sit down and do the math. So again, your work is priceless. Healing generational trauma, can't put a price on that, but you can put a price on the service that you provide so that you can have a sustainable practice from the start. You do not need to wait. So you've been doing this for 10 years, 20 years, whatever. Hmm. So you're first going to look at that schedule that we had set a step or two ago. (laughs) We talked about the ideal schedule. How many clients can you see week to week and feel really good about the work that you're doing and that they get the same therapist, right? Mm-hmm. That the one person doesn't get the awake therapist. The other one gets the end of the week, tired, ragged therapist. No, instead <laughs> they, they get the same kind of attunement 
from you. So whatever that is, again, not replicating what we think it Mm -hmm. should be or what we had in our other positions. Some of you are healing from burnout, starting your private practice. Mm -hmm. And what you can take on and do well is going to be drastically different than what you've been doing. Yeah. The second thing that we're going to be diving into is how many weeks are you going to be working per year? Now, this makes room for vacation. This makes room for trainings. If you want to be diving into CEUs or other um, certifications, this takes room for, do you live in a place where it snows and there's snow weeks or snow days, or you live in a place where there's hurricanes where often these things happen? Mm -hmm. Let's not see these things that are regular occurrences as reasons why you quote unquote, don't get paid. Let's build this into your, um, into your process. And again, do you need to take time off? Do you have an ill kid or a, or an ill parent? Like, let's be really honest about how many weeks per year that you can work. Right. Um, and we, we recommend to start at least four to six minimum that you plan on. Not mm-hmm. the, not the U S two weeks off per year. No, no. No, we're not doing that. Again, we're not replicating what we had before. And then finally, we're going to look at what that gross income is um, that you need to be taking out. Now, we a lot of us, when we're starting out, we don't understand the difference between gross income and take-home income or gross and profit. Mm -hmm. So gross income is the full amount of money you bring in before expenses, before taxes, before paying yourself, mm-hmm. right? So this number actually can look really large. Um, in some cases, you need to make, maybe it's double what you actually want to bring home. If you want to bring home $80,000, depending on your expenses and your tax basis, you might actually need to gross gross or prop, you know, fully bring home $160,000, yes. right? So you're going to be creating your gross income goal. And again, we go over this more in the house that fees of exactly everything that goes under there. Um, and our business school, we actually have a whole um, calculator where people or like, it's basically a piece of software. People ask, answer these questions, and then it does all the math for them and, and creates what that gross income is. And then tells them what that fee is supposed to be. And tells them what to estimate for taxes roughly tells them all sorts of information. But if you're just starting from scratch, you just need a piece of paper. And again, researching, like we said, what do you need to bring home to live your life? And then what do you need to run the business? And that combined is going to give you that gross number. And let me be clear, just saying, well, if I could make a hundred thousand dollars a year, it would, if I could have a six figure practice, that would be magical. I'm, I'm telling you right now, six figures, depending on where you live may be a lot, or it may be nothing at all. Once you take away expenses and taxes. So Please, please, please do not just throw out any like weird numbers that sound magical in your mind. This is where people sometimes get overwhelmed and shut down. Yeah. And, and we recommend we do the Pomodoro method (laughs) often in business school, set a timer, 20, 30 minutes, research, stop, go away, come back, celebrate, do something to give your brain a break. If you're struggling with this, this is one of those eat the frog kind of moments that we talk about. If you can lean in and be really honest with yourself about what you need, think of it like that. 
This is you taking care of yourself and your clients at the same time. And it takes radical honesty. And maybe you're like, I don't know what I need. All right. Well, let's start digging in. Let's just start looking at what are things costing in your life right now? Or Mm -hmm. again, Googling what those expenses are. Yeah. And so then we're going to take that gross income and we're going to divide it by the weeks that you work per year. And then that's going to give you roughly how much on the weeks that you're working, how much money you need to be bringing in total. And then we're going to divide that by the number of clients you can see per week. And that tells you what your fee should be per session, right? Now, again, there's a lot of nuance to all of this. There's a lot to dig into. I don't want this to be too long. We're going to go into FAQs in our next episode, but I want you to just start there. And again, I'm going to highly encourage you, um, go to zinnime.com forward slash free And you'll see that you can sign up to get on our list for free trainings. You can dig into the house at fees training. I highly recommend you sit down um, and do this before you sign up for any, get on any panels, you make any decisions about insurance. You, you put one website up, like do this first. If there's only one thing you do, please do this. Do some math. It's important. And then once you have your fee, then you can decide if insurance is right for you and all those kinds of things. But first, Start if you are starting your private practice. This is a really, this is a you are so lucky that you are starting with this information. So, we want you to go check out that free training. And then, in our next episode, we're going to answer all the top questions about money, 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 money. Thanks so much for listening to Starting a Private Practice podcast. We hope that today inspired you and that you're feeling more confident about money. We'll be talking more and diving into questions next week. If you need help or you want our help in diving into that beautiful piece of software to figure out exactly what you should charge, check out our business school for therapists. You can go to zinnime.com forward slash pod to learn more about business school and check out our other free goodies for you. We'll see you next time. I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.